I believe in room 126, 127, where our children's church is at. So, Well, this is a truth that kind of happens in our society, I guess, throughout the whole world. There are parties going on. There are parties going on all over the world, whether it's a wedding reception, whether it's a birthday party, whether it's a uh, uh, a retirement banquet, game night. There might be parties today before and after the football game, but there's always a party going on. And uh, the question is, am I invited? Am I invited to the party? Because parties speak a kind of an acceptance, a welcome, right? A, hey, we have fellowship together. Now, if you're an extrovert, maybe a party is the last place you want to be. Maybe you're going, I'd rather just be in a corner with a friend or reading a book, what have you. What have you. But, but uh, did I say extrovert? Yeah. I'm an introvert. <laughs> Katie Winslow's going, you said the wrong word. It happens. It happens. Um, but here's the other thing. It can be quite stinging to feel rejected, to feel excluded, discarded, ignored by others. And so this week, as we're in the 14th chapter of Luke, if you want to open up your Bibles, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to follow Jesus into a party. A dinner party. And we're going to be with him for two weeks here. And I want you to know what happens. I want you to note that Jesus is going to break some uh, social norms, some social taboos. And I want you to note who's invited, how they react, and I want you to note who's not invited and what society says about them. Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to bring the kingdom of God, to save us and rescue us because we are in rebellion against a holy God. And he has come, since we are alienated from a holy God, we need to be rescued, reconciled, and restored to him. But within this passage, I think we're also going to see that we need to be reconciled and restored, and rescued in relation to one another because we are alienated from each other often. And so, while Jesus comes to invite us to, if you will, God's big banquet at the end of all time, He's also come to change us and who we might invite to that banquet as well. So let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and get into God's Word today. So, Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you've come. I'm grateful that we can celebrate your your salvation and the way that you make and the change that you want to bring into our hearts. Indeed, Lord, if we put our faith in you, you have come to dwell within us with your Holy Spirit. So stir your spirit up among us today. Change us. Open the eyes of our hearts, as we've sung earlier, and use your word to make us the people you want us to be. 
Lord, if there's somebody who does not know you today, I pray you'd open the eyes of their heart that they might receive you, receive the gift that you are, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Okay, here we are. Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to read the uh, first six verses here. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of of him was a man suffering from dropsy, that is, abnormal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. If you've been following where we're at in the story of the Gospel of Luke right now, Jesus is making his way through Judea and eventually going to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to be rejected, he's going to be beaten, where he's going to be put on a cross and die for the sins of all mankind. He's also going to rise excuse me, from the dead. And so he has, he's going to achieve salvation. Salvation that we can't achieve ourselves. So all that put their faith in him could receive salvation. He's got salvation on his mind in his preaching. And so what happens along the way? He's invited to this leading Pharisee's house. This is a setup for conflict. Because Jesus and the Pharisees, they haven't been getting along. There is conflict between them. The Pharisees considered themselves kind of the gatekeepers of what God's holy law should look like. They considered themselves the gold standard. And they had rules for keeping the rules. And they kind of decided who they thought was in and who was out. Who was in with the in crowd, to to quote Smokey Robinson from years back. But they were very toxic because they were more about keeping people out of the kingdom of God than bringing them in. They're at odds with Jesus because the truth of the matter is he often exposed them. Exposed their hypocrisy. Exposed their failure to see God's redemptive heart. He exposed their misunderstanding of God's word. But Jesus purpose in coming to this dinner party is not to correct his critics, if you will, but rather to engage them, to reframe their understanding of God's heart, his values, and to save them, to save them from themselves, to save them from the alienation that they were creating in God's community, if you will. So the first alienation he comes to save them from is what I call the alienation of our theology. Again, I ask the question, what is Jesus doing there? These guys don't get along. 
Perhaps it's just the fact that, you know what, Jesus is popular enough, he's prominent enough, we got to deal with him. We have to engage him somehow. So he's invited. But as it says at the end of verse 1, he was being carefully watched. They're watching his every move, everything he did, everything he said. Perhaps they're looking for him to slip up somehow. And then enters this man with dropsy. This man with dropsy. Now dropsy is uh, a disease that we'd call edema now. I'm not a a doctor and I don't pretend to be one or play one on television, okay? Um, But it's, it's a disease where you... Your body swells up with water, and it can't process the water. It oftentimes is uh, evidence that you're having congestive heart failure or your, your kidneys are, are not functioning properly. But he is diseased, and this is obvious. And according to kind of the, the strict Pharisee code of what is clean, what is unclean, those who are diseased and those who are not diseased, that... Pharisees would not want to have anything to do with this man. He is not on the the guest list. But there he is. What's he doing here? Was it a setup for Jesus? I don't know. But it's interesting. There's a statement that says, nothing is as dry as a person with dropsy. Because they're wanting to keep drinking water and yet their body can't deal with it. This perhaps was a parallel to the spiritual condition of the Pharisees. And we're dealing with the issue of the Sabbath. And if you've been with us through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has had to deal with this over and over and over again. What's okay to do on the Sabbath and what's not okay to do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus brings up the issue He brings up the issue. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And the scripture says, and they were silent. They were silent because they'd already made up their minds. They'd already made up their minds and they're just waiting for Jesus to do something. You see, in their view, the Sabbath had denigrated, and this was the practical issue of their heart. It had denigrated into a show of discipline, duty, and raw obedience to show outward obedience. I'm going to show you how righteous I am by how little work I'm going to do. And by the way, what's interesting to me is I'm asking, okay, if it's a dinner party, how does that food get served? It didn't just happen on its own. So somebody's making an allowance somewhere along the way for some work to get done, right? But it was their theology that was stopping them. It was their theology. Speculation from a principle. You honor the Sabbath day. There's no scripture that says, thou shalt not heal. It was just tradition. And they would punish and ostracize all who would not comply. And you know why else they don't answer? Why they're silent? Because they're all at a dinner party and they're scared of each other. They're scared to break the party line because they know if they do, they might be ostracized. They might lose their status or standing in the community. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's not bound to the fear of man. 
He's come to rescue us who are bound. And so Jesus, he takes a hold of this man who's diseased, who's swollen, and it says he heals him. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know, all of a sudden he just, you know, lost all this. Who knows? Who knows? I don't even know. I'm not sure I want to know what it looked like. But it says he healed him and he sent him away. Literally, he released him. Literally, he released him. And it's in line with what Jesus said his mission was. Way back in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus does in action what he says his mission is to do. But he won't let this go with these critics of his. He won't let the issue go. Because I think he's there for God's redemptive purposes, even with his enemies or his critics. Again in verse 5, Then he asked him, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? And the scripture says, And they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say because they knew Jesus was right. They're going, Jesus, you're exactly right. I would pull my child out. I would pull my animal out of, the, out of the well. I would choose life, as you're pointing to here. You see, they had used their theology to alienate so many people from themselves and from God. You know, we are people that are very serious about God's Word. We're people that are serious about theology, about what is the truth about who God says He is. And this year we're looking very specifically at loving our neighbors. Here's my question. For those of our neighbors who hold a different view than ours, may not just be secondary issues about baptism or the Lord's Supper or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It might be even just core beliefs about who Jesus is. They may have a completely different faith. They may have no faith at all. They may have a different view of politics. They may be more conservative than I am or more liberal than I am. They may have a different lifestyle, choosing a different sexual orientation. My question is, will we engage them? Will we love them? It was interesting in this in this episode, Jesus doesn't put this man with dropsy through a, a theological litmus test. He doesn't say, Do you believe in the resurrection? He doesn't ask him questions about where his faith is at. He just heals him. And that does not mean that does not mean we need to affirm things that are contrary to God's word or his principles, but we don't have to wait until people conform to what we think is truth before we love them, before we engage them. Is that messy? Is it hard? Yeah. And will we need the Holy Spirit within us to do it? You bet. Are we just saying, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord Jesus, live your life through me. 
because I can't do it on my own. You see, we don't bring people to Jesus first in order that we can love them. We love people in order that we might bring them to Jesus. That's what I want you to hear. That's the change that Jesus wants to come and make and keep us from being alienated from others. Well, the party's not over. Let me continue here. Verse 7. And when he noticed that the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will take the seat of least the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. <clears throat> so, that the, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all other guests. Now listen to this. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus has their attention now in this dinner meeting, and he noticed that everyone, the guests, were all jockeying, picking places of honor at the table. And folks, this is exactly what happened in that first century culture. It sounds foreign to us, but it was true of Jewish culture and also of Roman culture. Humility was not a value in the first century. Jesus comes and changes all that. So if you were throwing a dinner party, you would usually invite the people that would somehow sustain your social status in the community. And if you're invited, you're invited, well, you wanted to be in a place where you were sitting near the host. Because the closer you were to the host, the more esteemed you were. And sometimes if there's an empty spot, you might cheat. You might move up a spot is how you valued yourself in the, the pecking order, if you will. And you'd hope that that would stand because if it would stand, that means you kind of raised your, your status. It sounds perhaps completely foreign to us, but that's what was going on. In essence, you were using others in the community to elevate your own status in your own particular social group. You're more concerned with what people thought than what God thought, who knows your heart. But it's not a value of Jesus's. It's not a value of the kingdom of God. So what happens next is interesting. Jesus notices this and he tells this parable. And by the way, this is not new information to these people. To these, um, Pharisees, because the same principle can be found in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. So he says this in verse 9. So if the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat, then humiliated you'll have to come down and take the seat, the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, Move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, this seems like very sound social advice, right? This is a way to kind of not be embarrassed in public, but actually maybe even have your status raised up. 
But self-promotion is not a, a value of Jesus's or the kingdom of God. And this is why he says in verse 11, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This was a reminder to the Pharisees that it is really not honorable to seek your own honor. But number two, it's not a value of the living God who says three times in his word, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Jesus has come to save us from viewing people through the lens of social competition and viewing them as a commodity to be leveraged for your own advancement. Rather, to display humility, to display service, and Jesus lived that message out. Let me just read for you the words of the Apostle Paul as he talks about Lord Jesus' life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. How about you and me? Do we engage, love our neighbor who works at Walmart and doesn't seem to have any real social connections for us to exploit as much as we do the neighbor who is on the city council or is well connected at Mayo, will we give them the same love and attention? Will we serve them? The party continues. And the next thing that Jesus points out is what I call the alienation of lack of compassion. And it's in the same vein as what we just talked about. Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, this is the guy who invited him, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or the rich, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Folks, don't make this a legalistic, hard and fast thing saying you can't invite your relatives, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. Although some of you are saying, yes, it does. <laughs> this is the principle of the, the principle of reciprocity. Of quid pro quo. There are strings attached in my invitation. I want you to do something for me in the future. There's no free lunch. I want you to pay me back in some fashion in the future. And you view people in terms of what you could get from them. And you didn't invite the poor or the outcast or the disabled because they had nothing to give you in repayment. These people were alienated. They were left out. 
left out by the spiritual leaders of the community. And Jesus came to change that. And for us who follow Christ, what if we love our neighbors with no strings attached? What if we see them as people who God made in His image? And He did. And He cares for. And if we have an opportunity to come alongside of them, we ought to. We are willing to be spent. We're willing to be spent on them. Even if they don't respond with gratitude. We're willing to be spent on them because Jesus was willing to be spent on us. We who before a living God are bankrupt, destitute, poor, and crippled in our spirit. Nothing to offer him. But he was willing to be spent in order to make us rich in Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you have been saved by his grace. I'm sure you've heard this acrostic. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It has come to you. God's riches at Christ's expense. And again, this is not a new message to the Pharisees. They knew that they should be caring for the poor. If you look at Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 10, and I'm not going to read all those verses, but God talks about the fast that he wants his people to take, that of caring for the poor, the outcast, to loose the bonds of the oppressed. And this is what he says at verse 10. And if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light will become like the noonday. These Pharisees knew God's Word. And I don't know how it happened. Somehow they forgot the second greatest commandment to love their neighbor as their self. Somehow it got twisted. I don't know. Maybe it just <laughs> became all about the rules. They couldn't see beyond that. They couldn't see beyond themselves. But here's what I want to say. And here's the difference that Jesus comes to make. Even if they know this, they can't fully love their neighbor as their self because they'd be doing it in their flesh. They'd be doing it in their own power and it would not work. And this is the difference that Jesus comes to make. What he came to do. Yes, he comes to open the door of salvation and eternity, but he also comes to open the door and change our hearts. Change our hearts. Again, I ask the question, how about you? How about me? If you're in Christ, are you going to allow Him to change your heart and to trust Him? To trust Him in a way where you can freely engage and love those who are different than you theologically or otherwise. Give us a change of heart that we're free to engage and love our neighbors when we're not asking the question, what's in it for me? Give us a change of heart 
where we see them with a heart of compassion and are willing to be spent trusting that God, trusting that God will meet us and repay us, if not on this side of heaven, for eternity, which is even better. And if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I just want to tell you that He is beckoning you to come have life in Him. And that's the kind of heart He wants to change in you. That's what He wants to do in you. He wants you to give you His heart for people so you wouldn't be alienated from others. But we need Jesus to reverse our values, to change our hearts. You know, there's one other alienation that is not in the Scripture here, but it took place this week. And if you're paying attention to the news, you might have heard about it. And this is what I call the alienation from injury. The alienation in it from injury. Every one of us in this room has been hurt somewhere, and every one of us has hurt somebody. On Tuesday, excuse me, Wednesday, October 2nd, there was a trial in Dallas, Texas. A trial for a woman named Amber Geyer. Amber was a police officer for the Dallas Police Department. She came home at the end of a 14-hour day, walked into her apartment door, and saw an African-American man there, in her apartment, pulled out her weapon and shot him to death because she believed she had the right to take his life for trespassing in her apartment. Only to walk away moments later and discover that it was not her apartment. It was actually the apartment of the man who was in that apartment. She'd gotten on the wrong floor. And I'm not going to try and go in to talk about her motives, all all that stuff. But the man she killed, whose life she took, was a man named Botham Jean. A young man, age 28, had a bright future, was a CPA, was a worship leader, had his church, led missionary trips. He is a young man we'd probably be proud of to have here at Berean. And his life was taken. And she was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years. But at at this woman's sentencing, Botham's younger brother, Brant, Brant Jean, gave testimony. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die just like my brother. No, personally, I want the best for you. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because that's what both of them would want. And the best for you would for you, be for you to give your life to Christ. And there are many other words that, that he shared. But the last thing he said to the judge, he says, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? And there was a pregnant pause for about 10 seconds. And he said, please. And the judge said, okay. 
And so he comes down from his testimony spot. She comes from the dock that she's in, and they embrace, and she just melts in his arms. And this moves us from vengeance and alienation to love and forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is the difference that Jesus wants to come and make. And folks, I know forgiveness is a, is a process. But this is the, the change that Jesus wants to make in us. In so many areas. Not only redeem our souls, but redeem our hearts. That we value those around us with His eyes, with His heart. And so we're going to head into a, a moment here, a celebration of what Jesus has come to do, of the Lord's Supper. And here at Berean, we practice what we call open communion. That means if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome at His table. It's not my table. It's not the table of the Berean Community Church. It's His table. And He is the one who welcomes you here. He's the one who welcomes you here. Kids, if you put your faith in Jesus and your parents say okay, you're welcome to participate too. But again, we come soberly remembering that our salvation cost, cost Jesus his life. And it was our sin, our alienation against him and one another that put him on the cross. And so we come thoughtfully. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment against himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So for a few moments here, I'm going to ask Myrna to come up and just play, play quietly in the background and ask you just to get with the Lord in your own heart and mind and say, Lord, search me. Show me where I have sinned against you, where I'm out of sorts, where my attitude or my actions are not in alignment with you. Ask forgiveness. Because the scripture says if we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we'll enter into this time of celebration of what Jesus has done for us. So let's just for a few moments just turn our hearts toward the Lord.